You're listening to Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. Paul Tripp is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as director of Changing Lives Ministries, a ministry of CCEF. Session 11. We want to look at the second piece of, of what it means to be involved in personal ministry. What does it mean to be an instrument of change in the life of somebody else? We talked about love, entering a person's world, incarnating the love of Christ, identifying with suffering, accepting with agenda. Now let's talk about no. And here's the message. Remember, again, we're incarnating Christ. Christ cares about the details of your life and as, at, is at work in the middle of them. Christ cares about the details of your life. Have you ever thought about this? We don't do very many important things with our lives, do we? Think about this. You only make three or four big decisions. Most of us won't be written up in history books. Most of us, a few decades after we're gone, the people we leave behind will struggle to remember the events of our lives. You, in fact, and I, in fact, live our lives in the utterly mundane. And hear this. If God doesn't rule your mundane, He doesn't rule you. Because that's where you live. Ministry takes place not in just in grand, significant moments. Ministry most often takes place in the little moments of life. Listen. The character of a human being is not formed in three grand moments. The character of a human being is formed in 10,000 little moments. It's those 10,000 little moments that prepare you for the one grand moment. And so we want, we want to know people. We want to know who they are and what's going on in their lives so we can be part of what God is doing. What's the goal of data gathering? Well, the goal is understanding the person. Hear this. In personal ministry, you're not on a problem hunt. You're not God's great detective. It's not a where were you on the night of the third way of relating to people. <laughs> you don't need a cap with two bills and a big pipe. Uh, you're, you're seeking to really know people. Now, what does it mean to know a person? Knowing a person means knowing the heart. That's what knowing a person is about doesn't mean you have to know every detail of their lives, but you get a sense of what makes this person operate. And you can, you can be, begin to touch those uh, central things in their life. Second, means helping a person to know him or herself biblically. Remember, there's a problem that all of us have. It's spiritual blindness. Think about this. If you sat right where you are right now, and you took a picture of the room, guess who wouldn't be in it? Isn't that interesting? Do you know right now that you have a better sense of how people around you look than how you look? Let me tell you how you... No. <laughs> you see, those are metaphors of our spiritual condition. We tend to be blind. Listen, one of the best ways to minister a person is not just giving them theology. One of the best ways to begin to minister to a person in a way that will change the heart is by asking a person questions that they would never ask of themselves. 
because you begin to ask them questions and those questions give insight. They're caused to think about things that they've never thought about before. And as they think about things, God begins to reveal the heart. So in, in gathering information, I'm trying to get to know you. Yes, even your heart. And I'm seeking to help you to know yourself, recognizing your spiritual blindness. Now, what, is it, what does this mean? It means we just got to quit assuming. One of the reasons we don't ask questions is we assume too much. Now, the nature of communication is that you can't communicate unless you have shared experience, right? The, the, the most basic kind of shared experience is language. If you didn't speak English, we couldn't communicate right now. And so uh, it's right to assume understanding. If, if, if I say to you, uh, today I went to step across the street and I was almost hit by a red Corvette. You, you have a picture in your head? That's because you've had pedestrian experiences. That's because you've had corvetological moments in your life. <laughs> uh, you have been radiated at points in your life. You, you understand all of the concepts involved. But an awful lot of human misunderstanding is because we assume we know things that we don't know. Listen, if a person says, this is what my family always did. And you don't ask about that family, where are you getting your family definition? Where? You're getting it from your own experience. And you can end up building a picture of a person in your mind who does not exist. They don't exist. And so the basic principle is, uh, here is don't assume, ask. Don't assume, ask. And even if you can take it for granted, ask anyway, and then you're sure. So much of ministry is harmed by overassumption. Here's what I do. I always ask people to define their terms. Language is elastic. If a person says, we had a fight last night, you don't know what that means. That fight may be your normal conversation. Or that fight could be global Nuclear war. I don't know if David mentioned this, but David tells a story of a couple who talked about a fight. And he began to ask questions. This couple had a gunfight. True story. Both of them with a pistol. The wife is up on the balcony. The husband's behind the couch, and they were firing at one another. <laughs> now, fortunately, by God's grace, they were a bad aim put some holes in the walls and messed up some knickknacks, but they lived. Now, if you know, if you know David Paulison, he's a very mild-mannered man, and he talks about a fight that he and his wife had. She wanted him to do something. He was reading the paper, and he, he pulled down the paper and glared at her. That's David screaming angry. It didn't involve a revolver. <laughs> well, you see what I'm saying? When you don't ask for definition, guess who's supplying it? You are. And in that way, you're not getting to know people. Second thing is ask for clarification. You know what the best way to get something clarified, to clarify, is 
that it would remain, it would become obvious and, and clear. Have people give you a clarifying example. Uh, in definition, I get a dictionary uh, sort of look at the, at the word. In clarification, somebody plays me a video. Walk me through that fight you had on Thursday night. And when you get walked through it, all of a sudden, the living drama of what's going on in that person's life begins to get depicted to you. Now hear this. The model I'm giving you, you cannot do in five minutes over the seat at the end of church. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to do this kind of thing, this kind of ministry that we're talking about, you have to be willing to give up things in order to lay down your life for other people. Ask yourself right now, who are the people that you know this well that you are presently ministering to? Our problem in ministry, I am absolutely persuaded of this, is that we are again and again trying to put $10 conversations into dime moments. Listen, when somebody is walking by you and say, how was your week? They don't want an answer. Because you can't possibly describe what could go on in seven days in that forum. Third is explanation. When I explain, I give the reason behind and motives behind what I did. Man, when, when, they, when a person gives you the video, then ask, why did you decide to do that then? What were you seeking to accomplish when you did that? Lady tells me of a, of a moment where her husband comes home late. She's, she's upset at him because the supper has gone bad. Uh, she confronts him. He gets real angry and shoves her up against the wall. Sad scene. She doesn't do anything else. He goes into his room and sulks. And she goes out to the driveway with a car key and keys both sides of his brand new car and goes up and goes to bed. Now you can't argue that that response was forced on her by the situation. That's a powerful reflection of her heart. And so, in definition, I get the person's thinking. In clarification, I get their behavior. In explanation, what do I get? What do I get? I get their heart. You see, this way of asking questions is a natural way of moving from sort of abstract details into the real war that's going on in the person's heart. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, you can get to heart issues with people. You can get to heart issues with people in ways, again, that God will use to change their lives. Now, that means that we want to ask good questions. Uh, determined to ask good questions. First thing is ask open-ended, not closed-in questions. Here's all this means. And I know this is nutsy, boltsy, and mechanical, but it's important. Don't ask questions that can be answered with a yes or no answer because they don't tell you anything. If you tell me, if I ask you if you have a good marriage and you say, yes, what have I learned? Well, you probably know this. You know this if you have kids. 
uh, you don't learn anything from yes or no answers. In fact, our, our kids would even give us that much. It's an amazing thing. I'd say, are you done with your homework? Now that is a question that expects what? A yes or no answer. And they would say, almost. <laughs> I'd say, it's impossible. You can't be almost done. <laughs> you're done or you're not. <laughs> you don't learn anything. Uh, second thing. It's the, it's the difference between the focused and the survey question. Now, don't, don't allow yourself to get uh, discouraged or lost here. This is really very simple. Watch this. A survey question means I'm bouncing around the person's life. Now, why would I do that? Do you know that what appears to be a problem between a husband and wife may not be just a marriage problem? This man may have the same problem at work. This man may have the same problem uh, with his children. He may have the same problem at church. He may have the same problem with neighbors. As I take the big look of his life, I realize that what looked like a marriage problem is not in fact a marriage problem. This man has a problem in all of his relationships. That changes the way I'll, I will minister to him. Uh, let me say it this way. Survey questions expose themes and patterns. Survey questions expose themes and patterns. I see the same thing creeping up in various places in the person's life, and I realize, aha, it's not just here, it's all over here. That changes the way that you're going to minister to that person. And then there's focus questions. Focus questions, in a focus question, I dig deeply into one area. I ask a whole lot about one area of a, of a person's life. Notice, Look up here for a minute. Survey questions go this way. Focus questions go this way. Survey questions expose themes and patterns. Watch this. Focus questions expose roots and causes. I'm digging down deeper and I'm beginning to understand what is attached to what is attached to what is attached to what is attached to what roots in the heart. Now it's not an either or here. You need to do both. You need to be looking at the whole person's life and then there are places where it's just clear that you need to dig deeply into this area. Now that leads to uh, another issue here. And it is that certain questions uncover certain kinds of information. And I'm going to do these all together, and you can look back at them later. You need to know why you're asking the question that you're asking. Because certain kinds of questions give you certain kinds of information. For example, a what question just gives me basic information. But a how question will tell me uh, the way that thing was done. Let me say it this way. As you're asking a person a question, what you need to be asking yourself is, what do I not know about what I already know? What do I not know about what I already know? In other words, what question do I need to ask 
next that will uncover the missing piece of information. A man says to me, uh, last Thursday night I just had to talk to my wife about the way she was talking to the children. Doesn't sound bad, does it? So I ask him the how and the when of that question. You know when that took place? At the supper table, when the kids were misbehaving, and that man stood up, this is a true story, and said to his wife, uh, sometimes I think the most destructive thing in the lives of our children is you. And sometimes I wonder if you'd be better off if you were dead. And then he takes his plate and he says, if you think I'm going to eat in this chaos, you're nuts. And he goes and eats in a room by himself. Now listen, people don't like to tell you their story at points. And they will round off the corners of the details. And it's up to us to lovingly say, okay, that's what you did. When did you do it? How did you do it? What for? What were you seeking to accomplish? Know what question to ask next to uncover the information that you need to really understand what was going on. The final thing is this. Realize that, that you are an interpreter. That means this. Get this principle. Please write it down. You don't counsel people, and it's there in your notes, based on the facts that you've gathered. But based on what? Your interpretation. You are an active interpreter. Whatever you do in ministry will be based on what? The way you've made sense out of what you've been hearing. And so I've given you in your notes, although it's very small, a, a bit of a biblical model for how how to make sense out of the data. Look, look at this with me. Look at the first little hook there. If you can read that, it says, what is going on? Here's what I'm doing. I've gathered all this information now. I'm getting to know this person, but I want to make sense of it biblically. I ask the first question, what is the world like that this person is living in? What is it like to live, what would it be like to live in their shoes? Let me give you some words there. What are the pressures this person faces every day? What are the pressures this person faces every day? What are their opportunities that they face every day? What are the temptations that this person is facing? What are their significant relationships? I'm seeking to pull out of all the body of information that I've been gathering everything that describes the world of that person to me so I can play that world back to them and that person could say, yeah, that's what it's like to live where I live. Yeah, that's what I'm going through. Now, hear this. Getting to know a person is like gathering dirty laundry. What do you do when you've gathered the laundry before you wash it? You sort it. The one direction my mom didn't give me before I went off to college. <laughs> I had a prized pair of bright red socks. Week two, I had pink underwear. <laughs> I was known in my dorm as Mr. Pink. Not a great way to start your college career. 
So what we're doing here is we're sorting the data. And so under the first hook, I place all the stuff that describes this person's world. You don't know how comforting it is when somebody understands you get it. You know what they're facing. There is comfort just in that. Second thing I do is I ask myself the question, Notice the second hook there. What does this person do in response to what is going on? What, the, what is that about? Behavior. I know that this person is responding. I know that they're acting and reacting to the stuff that's going on in their world. The first hook is the heat. The second hook is that thorn tree. Person is responding. How are they responding? And what I'm looking for there is themes and patterns. What is a typical way that this person responds to life? Well, they withdraw. Or they get angry. Or they shop. Or they eat. Or they, they get alone and they stew in their own fear and they, they push through their minds all of those depressing what-ifs until they're lower than a snake belly in a wagon rut. Or they blame somebody else. Or they get eaten by envy. How is it that they respond to what is going on? Now, notice, when you get to the third category, you have a heart beginning to be drawn there. What does this person think about what is going on? Know that this person is an active thinker. What have I learned about this person's thinking? Now, in case you're lost, let me say this. These are not questions you ask the person. Who do you ask these questions to? Yourself. Because you're trying now to make sense of all that information that you've been heard. Brothers and sisters, I pray that the body of Christ is filled by more people who listen and then go off and think before they minister. Isn't it amazing? Is it not amazing that you will spend hours preparing for a Sunday school class? A preacher will spend 10, 15, 20 hours preparing a sermon, but somebody will call us on the phone with a serious life issue and we will counsel them out of our hip pocket in 30 seconds. How dare we? People need us to love them enough to take time to be prepared to offer biblical help. And that means you standing back and organizing the information in a distinctively biblical way. And so I ask, what's going on in this person's world? Then I ask, how does this person typically respond to what is going on? And then I know that those responses are formed by their thinking. How is this person making sense out of what is going on? Listen, every human being is a meaning maker. You're, you're not just shaped by your world. Your thinking gives shape to the way the world looks to you. And how are they thinking about themselves? How are they thinking about others? How are they thinking about life? How are they thinking about God? How are they thinking about their family, their work, their job? Because that thinking will live in their behavior. Fourth category. What does this person want out of what is going on? What does this person want out of what is going on. Listen, in the midst of whatever is going on in my world, I am living 
for something. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, because it's so simple, is Matthew chapter 6. When Christ is talking about the heart there, he uses a wonderful word. He uses the word treasure. Just write down this passage, Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Don't turn there. And there are three treasure principles in Matthew chapter 6. Here's the first principle. Everybody lives for some kind of treasure. Everybody lives for some kind of treasure. Second principle. The thing that is your treasure will control your heart. The thing that is your treasure will control your heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Everybody lives for some kind of treasure. The thing that is your treasure will control your heart. And then third principle, what controls your heart will control your behavior. What controls your heart will control your behavior. No one can serve two masters. You will love the one or hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. Listen, every human being in the midst of a situation is living for some kind of treasure. And that treasure shapes his behavior. My mom went to an auction, and at the auction was being auctioned off a carat and a half diamond ring. Old-fashioned setting, you could barely see the diamond. No one bid on the ring. She bought it for $175. She went the next day to a member of the American Association of Gemologists to have the ring evaluated. The man came out and said, Lady, this is a very beautiful diamond. The diamond is worth somewhere between three dollars and $5,000. That's a nice return, right? $175 the day before, now three dollars to $5,000. And then he said words that none of us will ever forget. He said, but what's valuable about this ring is not the diamond, it's the setting. I'm an expert in antique jewelry, and I'm 99% sure it's a da Vinci setting, and it's worth $50,000. Now, what, is, what was a mad, sudden, spontaneous purchase now is a major familial treasure. My mom's telling me this on the phone. What do you think I asked her? I asked her, did he offer to buy it? She said he did. I said, how much? He said, she said he said he would write me a check for $35,000 right there on the spot. I said, you took it, didn't you? She said, I did not. It's worth at least 50. <laughs> now you're understanding treasure. If my mom lost that ring on the same day as she lost a pair of old sneakers, guess once which one she'd look for first. Guess which one she'd weep over. You see, part of good counseling is locating the true treasures of people. What are those things that they're living for that are in the way of their relationships, that are in the way of life, that are in the way of what God wants to do for them? Now listen, all of a sudden, as I'm asking the question, what have I learned about this person's world? What have I learned about the way this person is responding to that world? What do I learn about how the person thinks? What, do I, what have I learned about how this person uh, desires and what this person wants? What are their true treasures? Now, it's not just this confusing pile of information. Now I have a sense of where change can take place. Listen, brothers and sisters, the Bible helps you to take the pieces of the puzzle and assemble them so that you can know how to work in a person's life as an instrument of change. You do not have to be confused. Look at the person's world. Identify their typical behavior. 
understand the thoughts and the motives of the heart, and you will be able to function as an instrument of change. Brothers and sisters, we cannot continue to live in these terminally casual relationships. We need to get to know one another. And in knowing one another, know the heart. And in knowing the heart, be able to function as sharp instruments in the hands of Redeemer who's capable of radically changing our hearts. Praise Him that He would call us to the most important work in the universe. There's nothing more significant than the Redeemer God touching His hands on earth and in so doing, changing the hearts and lives of creatures who would be willing to live for themselves, but who now are elevated to live for the one thing that's worth living for, God and His glory. What a wonderful thing that is. He's called us to be part of that. And in doing that, we have to be determined to know one another, to break through the walls of the casual. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for what you're teaching us as, as we are thinking about how to be those instruments in your redemptive hands. In Jesus' name, amen. For information about this resource and others like it, call Resources for Changing Lives at 1-800-318-2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org. A CDR Communications Production.